Welcome to Life in the Music Business, a masterclass with Professor Pooch and your host, Bass Face. Welcome, everybody, back to the Life in Music Business with Professor Pooch and your host, Bass Face. Pooch, today we're going to be going into some great topics and continuing the rest of step one. So let me start by asking how you're doing today. I'm doing fine. Uh, my drink of choice today is fresh squeezed lemonade <laughs> with some green tea in it. To, you know, it's midnight, so I'm making sure I'm wide awake for everything to get started. This is normally my uh, evening starts at midnight anyhow and goes to 7 or 8 a.m., so people get used to that. That's perfect, yeah. I mean, I've been trying to transform into that, but it's still tough because I still have to do things right. some days. It's best for you, you know. I mean, I have to adjust sometimes, too. You know, uh, things happen. Oh, God, when I used to teach at the Art Institute, getting up at 8 o'clock in the morning. Uh, well, I wasn't getting up. I had to start teaching at 8 o'clock in the morning. or like usually two or three hours sleep or something like that. <laughs> right there. I, I remember going to class early. Oh, man, I don't even want to go into those stories because I'm definitely going to set a bad example in that regard. <laughs> Well, what was really funny as hell, I mean, I taught at an art institute. People were coming at 8 o'clock in the morning stoned out of their mind or tripping or whatever. This was the 90s. And uh, I taught from 90, taught at the art institute, developed their courses and taught there from 91 to 2004, entertainment law, publishing, management, entertainment business, et cetera, et cetera. We're now to... Step four of step one. <laughs> We're going to finish off the step one of my three-step thing. If you looked at the other episodes, we'll have them marked for you somehow. Because uh, we don't always go in order because we get ideas and things happen. Uh, but uh, step one, basically, is getting your business and legal together. Whether you're an artist or a manager, you got to make sure for the artist or if you want to start an indie label or whatever. And then step two is with these contracts and legal stuff, you're ready to register everything and protect yourself. And then finally in step three, you have to have a plan of attack. And that's what we work. I listen to their music and we discuss it up and back for a couple hours and get a complete plan of attack. So right now we're still in step one. We just finished uh, dealing with record companies and recording studios. And now we're going into other parts that have to be taken care of nowadays. Well, first of all, graphic arts. Say somebody drew you a logo or uh, designed a cover. And by the way, vinyl sales, I'm surprised, even during the virus, have really skyrocketed. They now sell more vinyl than they do CDs, okay? Um, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, everybody's stuck inside and they want that nostalgia. You know, uh, hey, as you said, nostalgia, the old packages of vinyl and old packages of music in general are doing very well, really well, more than even the newer songs at times. So, all right, so we're going to go into graphic arts. Well, you need a graphic arts contract. Why? Because a, for example, I'll give you a couple examples. I'm not going to go into every little thing. But you don't want to them using the same artwork for something else or for somebody else or whatever. 
it's yours. You're, you want to pay for it or whatever your deal is with them. Some people will do favors, <laughs> whatever. You want it that that artwork is totally yours. And that's really important. You don't want to have problems down the line where there's arguments. I'm mad at you, you know, give me my art back. And the, you know, if it's on paper, whether it was for free, you paid them, you swapped services, whatever, it doesn't matter. Now we'll get into something that's really important. Uh, we're going to go into fully heavy. And that is that, as we've stated, it's not just music anymore, it's multimedia. So you have to cover yourself. And there's two main contracts you're going to run into if you're shooting music videos. Now, could you picture not shooting a music video nowadays, even if it's just a... Uh, you know, just a, a lyric video, which very important, very important nowadays to be able to captivate an audience because the intention span is only dropping over time. So in, in order to really get across to your audience, you have to have to catch them quick, just like you wouldn't in a normal song. That was all Motown's motive behind every single major hit that they've ever had. Yeah, the the I mean, back to your image st stuff. And if you can't do a regular video yet, and sometimes with the virus, it's still going on at this time. Uh, some people can't shoot videos and stuff, but you at least get a lyric video. That could be done, you know, online. I mean, I get mine done that way, you know. Not? Yeah, and then when you can't shoot a regular video later on, you might do it, you know. Exactly. That's all. So services nowadays like Fiverr and and a bunch of different online stuff. I mean, you could hire anybody around the world for half the cost, you know? So it's a helpful tool. Yeah, especially, I mean, you'll, you want to see samples of their work to see that it's any good. But let's look at the two kinds of contracts, okay? Cool. First of all, there's the actor's release. Mm -hmm. Now, let's say somebody's going to be in your video, okay? And it's not you. I mean, if you're the artist or, you know, you don't worry about it, you're fine. But everybody else, before they step onto wherever you're shooting, make sure they sign a release form, whether you're paying for paying them or not. You need to have one. And I can tell you some horror stories on this, like, take me out of your video, I'm mad at you kind of stuff, you know? And this way, Hey, you said I could use your likeness, your voice, your image, your, it's, it's covered in a release. It doesn't have to be real long. I usually write, it's a page, a page and a half, but it covers a lot of things. You got to keep it legal, you know, kind of stuff. So it works. And it's very important. Another thing that's very important that people don't think about, a lot of people like to use children in their videos. And if you're under any place in the United States, if you're under the age of 18, you have to have a parent or guardian sign that release. I mean, you know, but by the way, you know what I usually do with people under 16, I'm under 18 for different kinds of contracts. I still have them sign it, even though the parents have to sign it, because I want to show them that music business is a business. Excuse me. And uh, it's just really important. So that's the one kind of contract you really need. The second kind of contract is called the, well, I call it a videographer's agreement. In other words, whoever's shooting the video, 
By the way, one thing I always do nowadays, I used to write two different ones. You only need one contract to do it both. But, you know, some people want photographs taken, you know, stills, as they call them. Mm -hmm. uh, they want their photos taken. And I usually put the photos and the videos together. The reason is nowadays, all still cameras shoot video and all video cameras shoot stills. So you can get a couple of both, you know, whatever. I just put it in one contract. But this is very important for several reasons. I'll tell you an interesting horror story that happened to me. Uh, somebody came to me, pooch, help, you know, one of those kinds of things. Of course, they come to me after the fact, you know, which is a pain. Yeah. But um, what happened was this videographer shot the film, you know, the, the music video. That's fine. And that went well. But he gave it to his girlfriend to edit the video. And there's where the problem started. Because what the person did, his girlfriend did it, and it could have been fine, it's nothing to do with that. But she refused to give back what is known as the B-roll. In other words, the other remaining footage that wasn't used, you know, that you can use for blooper reels and stuff like that. And this was a major problem because the fans, and you're gonna find out your fans like the blooper reels and just you messing around in the studio. I always tell people when you're in a studio, just let a camera run. It could be your phone camera. Nowadays, they're great quality. And, right. you know, like an iPhone or something. There's some, you know, some of the Samsung. That's really good. Yeah, you know. I'll shoot 4K nowadays, so you can really get some good quality. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's all cool. So, um, it's just... So what happens was, I mean, I was able to write a threatening letter. She was concerned. This is why she didn't want to give back the other thing. Because if they changed the video again, say they didn't like the video, and the person had it re-edited by somebody else, well, then she would lose credit for the editing of the video. But man, you want in that contract to state all video shot is yours, whether you paid for it or you, you know, swapped or whatever you did. So even if it's for free, folks, even when you do things for free, you still need contracts so you don't have problems down the line. Makes sense. Okay. Um, what else here? Uh, okay, I want to tell you some funny things on this. Since most people are actors, I mean, performers or singers, musicians, they're actors in effect they're performing so why not go and do some acting roles you know whether you're an artist a musician of some sort you're a performer okay so why don't you do some performance roles and uh, by the way it comes in very handy it's really helped me out on a lot of things what i found out as a performer myself and I, I've acted in about 35 indie-type films. Uh, I play weird characters. It's like, they say, Pooch, how do you get all those acting jobs? And I said, you know, well, they just know when they can't find anybody else to do a really crazy part, call Pooch, you know, kind of a thing. So what happens is that, I mean, I played God. I played four wizards, the... You know, I played six mental patients, about 12 or 13 homeless people. So it's, uh, it's been very interesting. The reason I'm bringing this up is 
as an actor, I see the scripts. And there's been times where, hmm, I have a song for this script, you know? And I've been able to get songs into films. So now how does that work out with putting songs into films? And what's interesting is I, um, just like I lecture on the music, the film people and other and music people, I lecture on film, you know, dealing with the music. So you can see both sides of it, which is very important. So the film, there's different kinds of licensing. And the problem with the film people that I warn them about is when somebody says, here's a song for your film or whatever, you know, and you have to be sure that that person really had the right to give you that song. In other words, they weren't signed to somebody or they took it from a friend or whatever. You need releases that it's totally their thing. They have ownership and you're held harmless. You're going to see that a lot in contracts, you know, indemnify and hold harmless kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And you, you don't want to be in a big problem on that. But, you know, that could be a major problem. See, remember I told you, going back a couple of steps, you want to own your material. So it's really important if you own it, you don't give them the song. You license them for that particular film. And if it goes to soundtrack, they have to renegotiate. It, you know, for anything other use, they have to renegotiate. That way I've gotten one song in two films and it was a live performance kind of a thing. And, you know, I could use the same song. I just give them, you know, I license them to use the song, but they can't have it. Now you got to be really careful. A lot of the film companies nowadays, they sneak in language. That's why you see somebody like me or an entertainment attorney. They sneak in some kind of language where they own the song from that point. You're not just licensing them. They get ownership and you got to be really careful on stuff like that. that. That's a major problem. Of course, especially when the, <clears throat> with, the, with that type of stuff, the small specific details, like I remember the one time you had uh, read a contract for me and in the contract it had stated that if the, the person that I'm giving the song to changes the name of the title of the song, they are now the owner of that song because they changed the title. Yeah, that, that was with music libraries kinds of things, you know, like if you're trying to place a song with other, uh, with films or TV, commercials, video games, they all fit under licensing. By the way, ASCAP and BMI don't cover that. That's where it comes straight from the publisher. Yeah, you got to be careful. What will happen is they'll say, oh, you could keep the publishing of this song, but we're just going to change the title and you own it under that name. And we'll under, under this thing, but it's the same track, you know, and that's a major problem. Yeah. You can't have that. You know, you're going to run into major problems with that. Yeah, completely understood. Yeah, let me go into the different kinds of licensing so you understand what happens. And now with the song, there's three major types of licensing. And with the Recording, remember the two separate animals, the recording is a different kind of license. With the recording, it's called a master use license. And by the way, you could mix and match these licenses um, 
on one contract, as long as the same person owns both the song and the recording. That's really important. Uh, now, why does this even come up? Well, let's say the film company wants your song, but not the recording. They might not want to pay the record company as much and money, and oh, we'll just get somebody else to sing it or something. Well, that way they could license just the song. Obviously, if they license the recording, you know, they have to license the song. But if you license the song, if they record it, they own the recording. Let's just keep that real clear. But let's go back to um, licensing the song. The three different kinds of licenses you're going to run into most probably, okay? One, what is known as a mechanical license. Now, what comes up a lot is people say mechanical. You know, what do you mean by mechanical? Because this is a digital world and all this, what's mechanical? Mechanical is defined as anything played on a mechanical device, like a CD, a DVD, uh, you know, that kinds of stuff where it's physical, a vinyl, okay? But so what happens with the digital stuff? Well, there's now called a license called a DPD. It stands usually for digital product delivery. I've heard other, the P used with other words, but it's digital product delivery. It covers the internet kind of usage. So let's say somebody wants to re-record your song, okay? They're going to ask, you know, you're gonna give them a mechanical license and a DPD, they'll go together, okay? But there's the third kind of license, which comes up almost all the time now, never used to, but it does now. You need a synchronization license, usually called a sync license for short. And because you're synchronizing sound with a moving image. So if they're shooting a film, they need a sync license at least for the song. And if they're re-recording it, they need the other two. Right. And they need the master use license if they're using your actual recording. Mm. That's very interesting right there. I mean, that, to be honest with you, there's some of those contracts. I, I didn't even know about the DPD contract. I thought that, I mean, nowadays it would be working in with the mechanical, but as you just explained, it's a whole brand new thing. Well, there that gets also weird too, because if you follow... All right, the MMA, we shift gears a little, but it's important. The MMA, the Music Modernization Act, there is, they started the, the MLC, and you'll see it at themlc.com. It's Music Licensing Collective. See, a song can be both a stream and a download. So let's say you go to a Spotify or an app or whatever, and you pick what song you're selecting a particular song to listen to. That is known as a mechanical, even though it's digital, because you're picking it to either download or stream, but you're choosing it. That is understood to be a mechanical. Oh, by the way, uh, just for your, everyone's knowledge, um, to cover it, go in deeper depth on some of this stuff, at professorpooch.com, if you go to the, the top right corner tab, it says free library. If you skim down a little bit on it, you'll see two articles. 
One article is saying uniting the music and video uh, film people together, uniting them together. And then there's another article for licensing music for TV, film, and commercials and, you know, video games and stuff. Video games are hot as hell right now. Okay. Yes, they are. I started noticing like a increase in the, the I guess the um, the demand and the trend for video games. So that back in like 2017, I had actually gone to Raleigh, North Carolina, for a music uh, uh, video game convention to go down there and actually place my music with video games. It was very interesting. Great food. Great. <laughs> yeah, I mean. Uh, it's very, there's a lot of things you got to keep up with the times. I mean, what was so amazing is like the big thing back in 2012 was podcasts, and now it's even hotter than it was back then because it was kind of eh, for a while. Now everybody and their mother is buying up podcast companies like Spotify. Uh, you know, they're all by Apple. They're they're all competing to own. You know, because they're noticing that a lot of people. You know, instead of listening to music, sometimes they're listening to podcasts. And a lot of major labels are even getting into I just read, I think it was Sony is just going to start with like 140 podcasts. You know, it's becoming a very big thing. But no, these podcasts are getting very, very, very important. Uh, you know, and they're buying them up. Uh, great thing about podcasts is you can promote things, advertise things, or get advertising yeah you know it's a way to do it you can listen on the go too i feel like that's something that's really important for people is that they can just be walking around listening to it you know the airpods are the new thing everybody's on and it's just it's the i guess how convenient it is to be able to learn and and be on the move at the same time yeah and by the way uh, i don't know if we've ever told anybody this but we're doing video casts here like uh some like a vlog. I mean, they come up with all these names, you know, but video, but we're also doing these, everything we do video is also on audio. We just take the audio off the video track. That's all. So it's the same, you get the same stuff, you know. <laughs> so where do you want to go from here? I mean, uh, there's so many things we go to video. I mean, but I just want people to know how important videos are now. I mean, my thing is that, uh, well, 90% of people, if they want to see uh, a particular song, they go to YouTube. So uh, it's just super duper important. That's actually that's actually an interesting topic that I feel like we haven't talked about yet that I feel like it would be um, very useful for people to know. So, I mean, when you're releasing music out into the world, where should you be protected and where should you be registering all of your music and whether you're putting it on YouTube, SoundCloud, uh, you know, I mean, using a distribution software uh, service to be able to go on all the major platforms. Like what, what are the, the guidelines that people should be looking for to uh, really understand how to really make the money from their, their product? Well, do you want to go into step two? Because that's where it's all covered. <laughs> it seems that that's where we're headed. So that's perfect. Oh, well, we might as well go into step two. Say you have all these contracts, uh, they're signed, so you own everything because you're going to need them for step two, okay? To do it correctly and not run into legal problems. So there's different kinds of registrations to be taken care of. One is to protect you. 
you know, one kind is to protect you and another kind is to register the stuff so they can be tracked and you can be paid. Like there's two different kinds of registrations. By the way, I was interviewed, a whole interview this took place um, where I forget a friend of mine from, I forget which state, Michigan or was it Chicago, Michigan, whatever. Uh, but that we did a whole show is people were mixing up registrations. In other words, they thought that, well, if I registered the song on ASCAP or BMI or CSAC, that I'm protected. No. And when you register with the Copyright Bureau, you know, in Washington, D.C., you're going to get paid. No. They're two separate animals. You need to be protected, which is done with the Copyright Bureau, and you got to register your songs with BMI, ASCAP, CSAC. Now, what you know, just whatever one you're signed to, okay? You, you can't do all three. <laughs> but uh, the important thing to understand is a lot of people, what they'll do is they'll sign up with BMI or ASCAP or CSAC, whatever, and they think, that's it. No. Every time you release any song, whether you want to put it on YouTube, you want to put it on spot, wherever you want to put it, you want to get it published into the world, okay? You gotta, every version of every song has to be, you have to tell, ask at BMRC, whoever you're with, you know, whoever your publishing company's with, your publishing company puts the stuff in there, the owner, remember? Uh, you have to state each one, so you could state the artist. And so they check, and you can actually get paid. But that will not protect you, okay? To protect it, you got to go to the copyright bureau. Now, let's define copyright for a second. As of 1976, uh, that tribunal, whatever they want to call that big meeting they had on copyright law, where they updated some stuff. It's been updated further because of the digital stuff, but that's another story. But back there in 1976, they made it so you could just put what is known as the copyright notice. The copyright notice has three parts. The circle with the C, or the word C-O-P-R period, or spell out copyright, the year, so let's say it's 2020, and the owner of the song, and we're gonna get into that, because the creator is not the person in control, it's the owner. That's why I want you to sign a songwriter's agreement to your own publishing company, so when you're still, it's you, but it's through your publishing company, will be the copyright claimant, that's the most important part. Now there's two different, <clears throat> excuse me, two different kinds of copyright with music. It's, it's the weird ball, you know, <laughs> it's the oddball thing. What is two different kinds? Remember the separate copyrights, the song and the recording. With the song, it's the performing arts. Okay, it's the performing arts thing. By the way, that works for video and film and scripts. It, it covers a lot of things. But you're doing it for the song, you know, you could do it as a collection. I don't recommend that. I'm not going to go into it right this second. It goes into a lot of stuff. But let's say you want to register your song to protect it. Now, although you can use the circle with the C 
and the year and the owner right away. You don't even have to register it, okay? But in a court of law, if anybody sues you, or it, believe me, it saves some of my clients a lot of problems. If you don't, you know, it's proof. You know, the, this, what is known as the poor man's copyright. They send themselves the form and mail it, mail it to themselves and so they don't have to pay the 55, 65, whatever it is, depending if you get, you know, online or not, the prices, you know, are different. The reason you, you register it is with Washington is so you're really protected. They're gonna give you a date that it was protected and it's going to give you a number, okay? And you need that for court kinds of things. Now, don't worry because you don't have to worry about, you know, you have to get the paperwork back. That might take six months. I've had one copyright, it took me a year and a quarter, which goes back a little. But it's all done online, that's the quickest ones. So um, you wanna use performing arts, but work as copyright claimant you want to put your publishing companies in and you'll list yourself if you're doing it yourself, you know, or if your manager's doing it for whatever. The, the, art, the writer, the music, lyrics, is different boxes and stuff. You'll be that. And then, but when it comes to copyright claiming, you're going to put your publishing company. And the copyright bureau is going to notice something's a little strange. You have writers here and a different company there. So... What happens is that to be able to do that, it's gonna give you a box down below. It's gonna say, buy written agreement. Check that box because you signed the songwriter's agreement to your publishing company. That's your written agreement. Mm. And that's for the song. For the recording, you need a form SR, sound recording copyright. And the owner of this will be the record company. How? By written agreement. You know, these contracts aren't just for fun and games, you know. It, they're important. You know, you have to have these written agreements. Wow, that's very interesting. So in that case, then the label will be the owner of the sound recording, and then your publishing company would be the owner of the actual song itself. Exactly. Like we explained in an earlier episode, they're separate animals. They got separate sources of income, separate, you know, copyrights, you know, protections. Uh, they're separate everything. And just like you, re you put with your ASCAP BMI for each song, correction, each version of each song you're releasing, okay, different artists, you know, you're going to get a, you know, they're going to request, they better request this, you know, they want to license your song to re-record it, you're going to put that artist in. And, you know, you're going to keep listening to these different versions. Or maybe you might have a dance mix or another kind of mix. So there are different things to track. Just like ASCAP and BMI are very important for the songwriter and publisher to, so you get paid. For the artist and the record company, you need to join Sound Exchange. It's soundexchange.com. It's like an offshoot of the Copyright Bureau. It didn't start till 1995 because they didn't need it before that. Because the United States is a very strange country. It's one of four countries in the world where when you have broadcast radio, like AMF and radio, 
what happens there, <clears throat> excuse me, here balls. What happens there is that in the United States and Iran, China and Syria, I forget now, For I'm drawing a blank, but there's four countries, strange besides the United States, that pay the songwriter and publisher every time it's played on radio, but they don't pay the artist in the record company. I'm not gonna go into all the court cases, but they've been trying to sue the radio stations to the, since the 70s and Frank Sinatra all the way. And they're still working on trying to get these uh, AMFM to pay the, rec the artist and record company too, because a major problem comes up. Since we're not paying any artists and record companies, you know, our United States, the other countries, when they play stuff on regular radio, you know, terrestrial radio, broadcast radio, they're not paying our artists. And it becomes a major problem. So someday they're going to get it straightened out. I mean, the big war has been that the broadcast stations say that, oh, we're, we're there for promotion. We help sell your song. We help doing this and stuff like that. But it, and they're also, they're not doing very well right now. But in 1995, uh, they developed Sound Exchange. They created it to cover for the internet. You know, like you mentioned YouTube or Spotify. So, you know, there's places where, uh, wherever that the recording company and the artist can get paid. Mm. And uh, That's an important one that I honestly didn't know until about six months ago that I was going through and I noticed, I was like, wow, like sound exchange. I had, I think I had come across a video or you had mentioned it to me or something along those lines. And it, it was super interesting just the way you explained it to me, how that's the service that pays an artist in the, in the recording company, AKA the label. And without this information, you wouldn't even know that. And that's another stream of income that you off of your music that you would have never been getting if you didn't know this. And yeah, actually one of my clients, uh, you could dig into their data bank and one of my clients found out he was owed $12,000 and they were holding it. They didn't know who to give it to. You have to join them, you know? And by the way, that's where that record company contract comes in. They might want to look at that because the artist gets, well, it's actually 45%. They set apart 5% for like the people in the studio and the rest of the band members, whatever you know, different people, other people that were in on the session, producers, whatever, and 50% go to the label. But you have to, they have to, well, how's this label different than this artist, you know, and it's by written agreement. There's the signing yourself to a record company agreement. So how does song trust work in this way for certain people? I know it, it really depends on the person and what they're what they have set up for themselves but how would how would song trust fit in in the play all right uh, song trust is one example and they could take care of this mlc for you and there are different companies nowadays that will take care of this for you in other words they'll administer either the recording or the song whatever way you have set up and there's hundreds of companies believe it or not but Song Trust, and this gets into HFA and licensing, it's just a very deep subject. We can't go into all of it. But 
what they do is they, it takes care of the license. It, it takes care of different things between with Song Trust and it goes talks to HFA. And, and even when you go to distribution like CD Baby or DistroKid, and uh, CD Baby works directly pretty much, I believe, with, with uh, so many companies, with Song Trust. And also, um, when you get into, it depends if you, at CD Baby Pro, because the CD Baby is just the artist to record company, CD Pro, if you want them to handle the songwriting publishing, and they'll collect all your money from, from all these different places for you, you know, for a piece of the action. Of course, they want to get paid too, you know, or whatever. Each reason I said that, some of them they, you just pay once, some of them you pay per, you know, what comes in. It, it all depends on which one, because like I said, there's so many of them popping up. CD Baby and District Kid have been around a little. CD Baby's been around forever. It seems like they've been around for many years. Uh, tune Chord, stuff like that. There, there are different ones that each, you have to read carefully what they cover and what they don't. And if they're extras you can sign up with or not. And, you know, it depends, but they can be an important part and handle some of your administration. Now, what's administration? It's one of the things I explain in one of my books because the idea is you don't want to handle different things. It just gets too much if you're just the artist and stuff. You might, publishing is very important because it's a very big source of income, but you don't want to handle this administration. And what is administration? Well, they take care of the copyrights sometimes. It depends what you sign up for, you know. They'll take care of the paperwork. They'll collect your money for you, of course. Anybody's going to be an administrator. They're going to take a piece of the action. Now, what I do is a lot of times with my clients, and they're working with they co-publish with somebody else. I try to make it that my person is the, uh, is their co publishing company is the administrator because then they can take some percent off the top for doing this extra work. Usually it's about 10, 15%. So is Song Trust in this regard, is it necessary for an artist or producer or anybody releasing? Music? No, it's not necessary, but you're going to have to do a lot of the legwork yourself. Like, Song Trust, <clears throat> excuse me, through HFA sometimes, they will sign up for you for the MLC to get the mechanical licensing money. But if they're not doing it for you, you have to go to the MLC.com and you got to fill in the parts. Mm, so that's another so, stream of income off of the songs. Yeah, in other words, they take pieces or, you know, like I said, some of the companies, there's lots of companies. So, you know, to do different things for you to administrate and all this stuff. You better really check them out. I like companies that have been around for a while. I feel much better if they've been around for a while. Yes. Uh, you know, because there's a lot of companies that show up and disappear or don't have the power. Uh, but like where the CD babies and people like that come in uh, and distribute, it's part of dis distribution, which we do cover in step two. Uh, what's really important about it is they're known as aggregators. Now, what an aggregator is, it sends it every place it needs to go. You know, they sign you up with Spotify. They sign you up with this. They sign you up with that. They sign, you know what I mean? They take care of everything. 
By the way, don't forget something very major, and I bring it up usually in two or three, it depends where I am with the particular artist. You need your own website. And the top places you're going to sell your songs are your website, Amazon, you know what I mean? And these are the ones, the big ones, that sell your stuff, you know, iTunes, whatever they're called today, you know. They're the main ones. They're the main ones. But there's a, there's tons of things. I mean, SoundCloud's doing things. There's a lot of places now paying this or that for this or that, you know. And you got to check them all out. Some will do podcasts. Some won't do podcasts yet. Believe me, they're all jumping on board with that. But, I mean, that's why I, I don't like to generalize because they're all different in some way. But aggregators are very important in the fact that they can take care of all these places and sign you up for all these places at once. And if you try to get on iTunes or Spotify or stuff, it takes a good while where they can do it in two or three days. Wow. Because Spotify would rather deal with an aggregator. It's simpler. By the way, very important with distribution, something, there's some major points with distribution. And to think about. Good thing is they're non-exclusive. So you could do three songs with DistroKid and three songs with CD Baby. Okay, they're non-exclusive. But you can't join both for the same song or you're not gonna get paid at all. iTunes is gonna say, wait a minute, they're doing this, they're doing that. I'm not paying anything. I don't wanna take a chance, I'm gonna get sued. So you only get, for each song, you only can pick one of these distributors. That's very important. The good thing, I, like I said, they're non-exclusive. So you can try them out. You know, if you're not sure of a place, sometimes I'll say, well, look, for you, you know, maybe you better try this out because you want to use this company I never heard of because there's, there's some, I'm telling you, there's hundreds of companies coming out of the woodwork trying to be aggregators to get a piece of the action. And, uh, I tell them, you know, okay, try them out. If you really want to go with them, you like it, that they're going to promote you. They say this, I want to see that in a contract, of course, and things like that, you know. Yeah. And uh, it's just this, the uh, the district kids and the city babies and two courts have been around for a long while. So they, ha they have relationships with these other stations and things like that. So that's a big, important thing. But back to what we jumped into a little bit. You need your own website. I mean, your.com, not through anybody else. Yes. You know, even if you go with Bandcamp, and a lot of people are going with Bandcamp right now, and they're, they're very happy with them because they handle a lot of things. I, I don't want to push one thing over another, but I just heard some good stuff about them. And, you know, to, you, know you can put your songs in this and up. But on your website, you want everybody to come to a central place. It's just super duper important where they can get merchandise, where you're going to appear next, or well, nowadays, where you're live streaming next, or if you're selling tickets for live streams or whatever. You want them coming to your site where you have control of them. And they're going to sign up on a box in there so you can send newsletters, but we're waiting for that and go through all that in step three. So I feel like there's a lot that we've covered today. And um, 
we the end so it was the it was the fourth part of step one we went into part of step two and uh i mean we we bounced around but there's a lot of information for everyone to go back and listen to i mean uh, that's the one thing about our podcast it's a lot of different and unorthodox approach because we we are creatives and we we have different spurts of energy that go this way and go that way and we we adapt as we go along and you guys are going to feel free to always go back and listen to everything that we're doing in order to really get a good grasp of it. And if you have any questions or anything, you can reach out to us and. Yeah. Ask, I, you know, you can send it to ask, A-S-K, ask at professorpooch.com. We'll be happy to answer your questions on anything. Just uh, as I said before, you can ask questions, but please be specific. Don't ask, how do I become a star? Because that would take five weeks and 35 episodes. Okay. And, you know, and there's still no guarantee unless you're going to put the effort and the talent into it. Now, I will warn people, yeah, we'll go in and touch on step three. But we're not going to be able to do step three really completely because we have to generalize. Mm -hmm. Every artist is different. I mean, I listen to their music, you know. Yeah, we can go on certain things that are very important for everybody. But everybody is unique. So, you know, what works for one artist is not going to work for another artist. It might be a different style of music. It might be one of them just wants to do this and that. Some of my artists, I mean, have other skills that they match together with it, you know. Like they have comic books going on and things like that. You know, multimedia, everything helps nowadays. And everybody's different. We'll go through some of the main topics to think about you know like image very important branding stuff like that it's for everybody but we can't get really specific because everybody's different i mean if your music's you know i have to figure out you know by listening to the music what goes you know where you know what you can do is the quality of the music good enough for broadcast quality that you could put on TV or film and stuff like that. It gets into all kinds of topics, but we will hit step three and we'll just have to generalize. That's all. Sounds good. So that is the end of today's episode. Pooch, as always, you can lead us out. Tune in for the next episode, folks. See you soon. (laughs) Thanks for watching. Tune in for the next episode. (laughs) Thank <laughs> you.